BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Right now, it's the perfect crime. No known witnesses, no crime scene. Two cold cases in Henry County, Illinois, 29 years apart. While one of these cases has somewhat been solved, the other still has no answers and no leads. These cases are not connected. But my hope is, if I show cases like these can reach a conclusion, maybe the other will be solved before we hit the 20-year mark. WQAD Podcast Network. The crimes that made your skin crawl. The missing faces you just couldn't get out of your head. The questions that never got answered. Missing and Murdered in the Midwest dives deep into these unforgettable cases, solved and unsolved. This content is not for the faint of heart. And now, here's your host, Toria Wilson. Joan Napton was a 46-year-old woman, married for 20 years to her husband, Larry, with a daughter getting ready for college. A computer programmer during the week for Kone, she loved fixing up and opening up her home to her friends and family during the weekend. From what I read, she was just a loving, kind woman. In April of 2003, Joan and Larry were calling it quits. Divorce proceedings were filed in the Rock Island County Courts with a hearing set for mid-August of that year. While Larry later stated the two were not getting along at all, and family would later say it turned into a messy divorce, life continued on for the Naptons. The night of Thursday, July 3rd, Joan went out with friends. The morning of July 4th, she spoke with those on the phone, but from what I gather, it wasn't a holiday weekend for Joan. She had work to do. Around midnight on July 5th, those working on the same project outside of the U.S. became concerned when Joan's part of the work was not done and she was logged off. Joan was one not to slack. Her coworkers filed a missing persons report the next day. Her laptop, purse, and cell phone were all missing. On July 10th, a passerby and his daughter were driving across the Illinois Route 82 bridge over the Green River when a girl spotted a body. How did she know it was a body? because the driver was an off-duty Illinois State Police officer and had taken his daughter to observe an autopsy as the girl was interested in forensic pathology. Crazy coincidence, right? Obviously, investigators from the state, Henry County Sheriff, and East Moline Police diverged onto the scene, including getting help from a MedForce helicopter to look from above. All that was ever released to the public was that a torso and, quote, other body parts had been found the head, hands, and feet were never found. Now, it would seem that this case is connected, that this has to be Joan. But at the time, police had so many missing persons cases that they couldn't really definitively say, yes, this is her. An autopsy two days after the body was found would say that it was a white adult female. But it wouldn't be until late August of that year when police would make this announcement. The test confirmed that the body is that of Joan Napton. 
At this time, this case is no longer a missing persons investigation and is considered a homicide investigation. But police had little leads and little evidence to work with here to try to solve this case. They didn't know how or where Joan was killed or where the crime scene was. Family and friends did work to collect more than $35,000 for information that would lead to an arrest. But here's an interesting tidbit. At this time, the daughter of Joan and Larry filed a restraining order against her own father, claiming he was a suspect in her mother's death. He's been in and out of my life so much growing up. Um, it's, it's, it's just the smartest thing for me to do to protect myself. And shortly after that, the insurance company in charge of Jones's $100,000 life insurance policy filed a federal lawsuit wanting a court to decide who should get the money because Larry was listed as a suspect. Larry was later said to be a suspect of interest around 2003, but there's nothing concrete linking him to this case. Larry told News 8 shortly after Jones' body was found that his car and home was searched several times. Obviously, we know Joan was murdered before their divorce was finalized. Investigators also found a receipt for a saw, saw blade, gloves, and a pen light, all bought at Amoli Menards. A map had also been found on Larry's computer, showing the area where Joan's body was found. But Larry wasn't talking to investigators, and to my knowledge, never really has. He also told News 8 at that time he was questioned by police, but he hired an attorney shortly after that and refused to answer questions. It's something that frustrated the family year after year after year. So my first question would be, why aren't you cooperating? And my second question is, where's the rest of my sister's body? That's Cheryl Ashcraft, Joan's sister, back in 2005. By this time, two things had happened. One, a task force had been established to try to find Joan's killer, but no results had turned up. Larry would also be arrested by this time, not for murder, though, but for child pornography. Images that were found on his computer when a search warrant was issued in connection with Joan's death. A 2007 trial would result in a mistrial and authorities refused to file new charges in the case. In 2014, there was a new push to try to find justice for Joan, but now nearing the end of 2019, no dice. In 2014, there was also a push to find the killer of 16-year-old Mary Ann Becker, also from the Henry County area. It's a case that sat cold for more than 40 years, one of the oldest cases in the state of Illinois, in one of the smallest towns, Atkinson, which had less than a thousand residents residing then and now. Marianne was bright and driven. She had been active within Atkinson High School, president of her junior class. She was getting ready to tour Western Illinois University in Macomb for college. She was quiet though, and shy. On September 9th, 1974, Marianne walked home from school with a friend. It was the first time she was home alone in weeks. Her sister was somewhere else that evening. Her parents were working second shift at jobs at the truck stop and the coal plant. By the time her mother returned home around 11 o'clock that night, Marianne had been dead for hours. The teen was found in the family's living room, lying on her back. A cord was around her neck. Another cord was tied around her arm and attached to the leg of a piano. One was part of a clothesline. The other was an electrical cord from a lamp. The teen's body was bruised. 
her head brutally beaten. There had been speculation that Marianne was raped, but police debunked that. In such a small town, people didn't know if it was someone who had driven through along Interstate 80 or if they were living among a killer. So homeowners who used to leave their homes unlocked no matter the time or the day started screwing on deadbolts to their front doors and taking other precautions, making sure nothing would happen to them like they did Marianne. The crime, though, had no witnesses and no real leads. Three months after Marianne was brutally murdered, police released a sketch of the subject, who had been seen around the neighborhood the night of the crime. But as the days, weeks, and months went on, the crime got cold. In 1979, the Peoria Journal Star reported that since Marianne was home alone, it indicated that an Atkinson resident, familiar with the parents and their jobs, maybe has done the killing. But the case went right back to being cold. Until 2013. Illinois State Police launched a new effort to try to solve the cold case. A two-man team was assigned to the case to review old evidence and conduct new interviews. It was at this time, with the permission from Mary Ann's family, the Henry County Coroner's Office exhumed her body from St. Anthony's Catholic Cemetery. The autopsy performed found no new DNA evidence on the body, but found a previous unknown fracture on her wrist, indicating just how violent the attack was on Mary Ann. Investigators traveled to five different states, conducted more than 100 interviews, until finally, after 43 years, the Henry County State's Attorney announced Mary Ann's possible killer. His name was Robert Clark. At the time of the murder, he was 24 years old, and he lived alone at an apartment near the Becker's house. He worked with Marianne's father at the local coal mines. He knew my parents. My dad befriended him and actually helped him get a job at the coal mine. Police said they did interview Clark shortly after the crime, but he insisted he was at work the night of said murder. But investigators found new information in their renewed search that turned out it wasn't true. Robert Clark would later move out of the apartment and out of Atkinson, but continued living around the area. In 1980, he would be convicted of raping a 15-year-old girl in nearby Galva, Illinois. And though he was sentenced to six years in prison, an appellate court would later reduce the charges, and he would serve just two days in the county jail. By the mid-1980s, Clark moved to Indiana. At this time, he had been married and divorced three times. He had a history of violent attacks towards his wives, especially towards his second wife, who would later recount one night in which Clark stated he had killed before and he would bury her body in the coal mine. In 2015, Robert Clark died at the age of 64. And while police and Mary Ann's family believe Clark is their man behind this brutal crime, he will forever be presumed innocent, as he will never have the opportunity to face a judge or a jury. I'm relieved, actually, that he's dead, because I don't have to worry about him hurting anyone else or hurting my family. We're thankful. We're thankful that Mary Ann wasn't just forgotten. It's good to have this closure but we still miss our sister.